This is a new thing. Um, so, whew, a little weird. I've been building to this for about, probably about 16, 17 years. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd and welcome to The New Jesus. Uh, if you wonder what this is all about and the title sounds crazy or too radical or whatever, please watch the introduction where I kind of uh, tell you why I'm doing this, what it's all about, what New Jesus means, etc. Alright? Okay, uh, let's review really quick. Um, I'm not always going to review in these, but while we're in these initial sessions laying the foundation, I, I think it is good to review. And then when we'd have that foundation built, then I think each one of these will, will kind of stand on its own. But uh, the, the first week, we talked about Jesus coming on the scene, the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever given, most famous sermon ever given. And Jesus says, I'm here to fulfill the law not to abolish it, and I'm here to shake things up, basically. And, and what he says, as far as the way it is with us and sin and all that sort of thing, and happiness and sadness and all that, what he says would shake you up, okay? And, and then at the very end of all of that, he kind of gave the culmination of everything he had been saying, which is... Be perfect. <laughs> Sounds great, huh? Okay, I'll just start being perfect. Uh, all right, so that was that was the, our first session. Number two, we are built for relationships. Okay, but hang on before I go on to two. Um, if you haven't watched session one, I just want you to be sure and understand the be perfect sounds terrible, right? Because none of us can do it. But he never intended for me to be perfect, all right? Everything I need is going to be done for me, not me have to do in order to qualify. So just an aside. Okay, week two. Um, we're built for relationships. And so, if you're not prioritizing relationships and doing what is love-based in the present moment, not, in the not focused on the past, not focused on the future, but in the present moment, in love, whatever you're doing, you're missing the boat. All right? And I'm not saying when you're doing um, cleaning a toilet, you feel love. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. Some things you'll feel love. Some things you'll feel angry. Some things you'll feel bored. I mean, what you feel is all over the board. Alright? So I'm not saying that. But I am saying you can get to a place where you can clean toilets from an inward state of love. Where what you're experiencing internally is some measure on some continuum of love, joy, and peace. And believe me, I've, I've done both. I've done the cleaning toilets where I was cursing and it was horrible and, you know, I just 
couldn't wait to be done and when I was done the whole rest of my day was sort of bad because I had to do that during that day. And then I've had it where I didn't even realize I was cleaning the toilets. I was singing joyfully and happy. You can do anything you do, you can do with an attitude. Either negative, positive, whatever. That's what I'm talking about. Not necessarily that you're going to feel love, joy, peace, but that you do the filing, the laundry, your work that you don't enjoy very much today. You choose to do it from a place of love, joy, peace, integrity, truth, etc. Alright? And what we found out there in that second session is that God says what you have available to you is a life beyond imagination. Okay? Uh, unbelievable. So good you can't even imagine it. Alright? But that's the life focused on relationships and love in the present moment. Alright. Then in our third session we talked about how just as we are programmed for love, joy, and peace, we come with that software built in and running. We also come with software built in and running for seek pleasure, avoid pain, selfishness, or self-interest. Okay? And, and that has to be so. Because the whole purpose for us being here is relationship and being and love. Well, for there to be love, you have to have a choice not to love. If there's no choice not to love, and love is my only programming, and, and love is basically mandated, well, that's not love at all because I didn't choose it. Okay? So if you rule out choice, you eliminate love, which all this is about in the first place. Okay? So God had to build in kind of the opposite of love, seek pleasure, avoid pain, selfishness, self-interest, in order for love to be real. And, and what this whole existence of ours is uh, intended to be and, and for. All right. And, and that's as far as we've gotten so far. But, but just think of, okay, up here at the top, we're built for relationships and love. And then under that, we have two things. The choice to prioritize relationships and love and focus in the present moment and add love to whatever it is I'm doing, even if I don't feel it. And then to seek pleasure and avoid pain. And yeah, I'll be nice to you and we'll be on great terms and I'll be really kind and loving as long as I'm getting what I want. But when I start not getting what I want, then you and I are going to have to have a talk. And if it keeps going on after our talk, we may have to make some changes here. Well, that's not love. That is selfishness. That's love. That's self-interest. I call that love A versus love B. And the reason I put selfishness as love A is because that's the one 9 out of 10 people live by. Not the real love. That's 1 out of 10. Okay? Alright, so that's where we've gotten to your choice. Every single day, 100 times a day, 
to act in prioritizing relationships and love in the, and truth in the present moment or self-interest, what I want, when I want, more pleasure, less pain. And money will often buy that, we think. I can buy protection from pain and I can certainly buy pleasure. Alright? Uh, chemicals, uh, programs I watch, internet I watch, whatever. Alright? So that's why money is so big and, and is spoken of as being the root of all evil. The love of money. Being the root of all evil. Not money, the love of money. Okay. So, let's take the next step. And to me, the next step is the pain paradox. Okay? So, let's say I believe that this life is all about relationships and uh, choosing love versus choosing self-interest for my life in any particular day, in any season of my life, that that's what it's all about. Alright? And if I choose love, then I'm going to get this life beyond imagination and the love in my heart that's beyond knowledge and joy and peace and patience and all that kind of stuff. Alright? So if I start choosing love and relationship tomorrow, is it just going to be clear sailing for me to prosperity, love, joy, and peace from then on? Okay? The answer is no. If that's what you think, you have a wrong perception of what pain is as almost everyone I have ever met does. Okay? So, no. I, I, I'm not saying if you choose love in the present moment, it's going to be clear sailing. And, and no more pain, love, joy, peace, prosperity, you know, pretty butterflies everywhere, 75 degrees and sunny, uh, metaphorically inside as well as outside. No, 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 no. That's not the deal. Alright? So, what is the deal? Well, let's look at what Scripture says. Alright? First Chronicles 4.10, Jabez asked God for no pain and God granted his prayer. So what does that tell us? It, it, it tells us we can always ask. Okay? It's always okay to ask, please let this pain pass from me if that's your will, if possible. Okay? And we know sometimes God grants that as he did with Jabez. Now does he 100% of the time? Absolutely not. Well, let's go on. Second Corinthians 4.17 Our momentary affliction, momentary pain, is to prepare us for what is to come that is beyond comparison. Kind of like the beyond imagination. Alright? So, What's being said here is that no matter how bad your pain is, in the scope of things, it's a momentary situation compared to the, the unbelievable, fabulous, wonderful thing that's beyond our imagination that is to come, that is not momentary, that's hundreds of millions of years, and then we've just gotten started. Okay? So, you need to keep your pain, no matter how uh, chronic or, or momentary it is, 
you need to keep that in context of your entire being and that you are a spirit that is eternal and this life is like a mist that appears for a second and then it's gone compared to eternity. Okay? Uh, Romans 8.18 Our suffering now can't compare with the joy and, and peace that is to come. Okay? So, no matter how bad, what this is saying is no matter how bad your pain is, it can't compare with what is to come if you do choose to prioritize relationships, love, and get yourself in right standing with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. You're guaranteed that. We talked last week about a guarantee, a guaranteed outcome. You are guaranteed that. What you're going through now can't compare with what you're going to get later. All right? If if that suffering now doesn't cause you to go off track to where you're prioritizing seek pleasure, avoid pain, and selfishness and are not right with God. Okay? That's where that would change that situation. Okay. Revelation 21.4, no tears in heaven, no pain in heaven, okay? Which is, again, eternal, hundreds of millions of years, and we've just started, okay? Uh, But, but, I, I, I acknowledge it's very difficult to really feel and understand that when all we know really is 80 years here and I'm having more pain than this person and this person and this person and it doesn't seem fair. Okay? Alright? I, I, I get it. But what I'm sharing today is the real truth about it in the scope of not just 80 years, but your entire lifetime. Meaning, here on earth and eternal as a spirit made after God's own image. Alright? Okay. Psalm th- uh, thirty-eight, seventeen. My pain. This is David. My pain is ever before me. So David is in pain right now and praying to God. My pain is always before me. Okay. So it's okay to complain. It's okay to moan and groan to God. He wants you to. He wants to to comfort you. The, the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter and the Counselor. Uh, Jesus, the Prince of Peace and, and the Great Counselor. Alright? So, pray your heart out. Pray that pain out. Every day if you need to. To God. Uh, David again. In my pain, I give thanks. Oh, now that's a hard one, right? But... But if you're look, and I think the only way you can do that is if you know what we've talked about in the weeks up until now that you have an outcome guarantee from God that He will make everything work out for your best, not at least long term, not 99% of everything, everything, 100%. You have a long term insurance policy guarantee by. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who has all power, and He has given you 
an, an insurance policy, a guarantee that if you're right with him, he will make everything in the end work out for your best. All right? So, and I think that's the only way that you can be in pain and still give thanks, especially if it's long-term pain because chronic pain is so debilitating and difficult to deal with. Okay, Isaiah 53 verse 4, um, he, and this is Jesus, okay, Jesus bore our pain and was stricken by God for me. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus went to the cross, he bore all of my pain to the cross and he was stricken, and I believe what that means is God gave Jesus cancer, God gave Jesus ALS, God gave Jesus my acid reflux, God gave Jesus diabetes. One scripture says he was basically unrecognizable on the cross. Well, I believe that's because he was full of all of the disease of me and you and everyone else and all of our pain. He took all of that, bore it, probably felt it, emotionally and physically on the cross. So he bore that my pain and yours and was stricken by God for you to pay for that for you. So if God wants to take away the pain like with Jabez, he can. It's been paid for already. So why would he not take away the pain if it's been paid for? Tell you that in a minute. James 1, the, the passage every believer I know pretty much hates or has hated it sometime, including me. Uh, James 1, count it all joy when you suffer and go through all these painful things. All right, It doesn't say you'll feel joy. It says count it as joy, which means you may not feel it at all. Okay, But you still acknowledge that this is doing something good for me rather than something just bad, okay? Oh, oh, and let me, let, let me clarify something I should have before we ever started. Um, I believe there's two kinds of pain. Meaningful pain and meaningless pain, okay? And what you want in your life is for whenever you have the pain for it to be meaningful, not meaningless. When I was about 24 years old or so, uh, I was on a mission trip in South Carolina. We'd been doing a uh, vacation Bible school there in a missionary kind of deal. And um, it was uh, we were all done. We'd been there a week. Everything had gone great. Everybody was in a wonderful mood. We were packing up to come home, which at that time was in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I was walking by myself through the auditorium alone, you know, just sort of reminiscing and, and thanking God, praying a little bit. And I was about halfway into the auditorium and a pain hit me that I had never felt anything like it in my life. My knees buckled. I fell on the ground. I could not speak. I could hardly breathe. And I couldn't move. And I was thinking, am I going to die here? I mean, what are the odds of somebody finding me? I mean, I mean I'm in here alone. Nobody knows I'm in here. Uh, I'm sure they would have eventually. 
Anyway, I had a kidney stone. Okay? So they find me, they carry me to the car, put me in the car, take me to the emergency room, um, and, and start working on me for um, kidney stones. And took a day or two. They didn't have to do surgery. I passed it and hadn't, hadn't had it since. But anyway, it was unbelievable pain. I mean, pain that I, I can't even describe with words. Uh, studies and research says it's probably the closest pain us guys will ever have to the pain of a woman giving birth to a child, which is probably the most severe pain on planet Earth. And that's where I'm going. That pain for me of the kidney stones was totally meaningless. I don't know of one thing I got out of that. All right? Now, I probably could have gotten something out of it, but I wasn't mature enough to go there at that point. It was just meaningless. Can't wait till it's over. That was awful, and I hope it never happens again, and, and that was it. Okay? On the other hand... Um, the most, the most painful thing a human can experience, childbirth, my wife, Hope, wanted more than anything in her lifetime to that point. And, and she had three miscarriages. And that was one of the hardest things of our entire marriage was going through those three miscarriages. Um, those, she was already embracing and loving those children in her womb. And so when they died, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a fetus that died. It was her child that died. She's given them names, knows how old they are in heaven, all of that, okay? But that was, that was terrible. But wanting to go through that kind of pain dominated about a decade of our life. Now, why would anyone in their right mind want to go through the worst pain you can go through on planet Earth voluntarily? You know the answer, don't you? Because it has great meaning and purpose. It's not just pain for pain's sake. It's meaningful pain. And as we look now at our sons, 28 and 20, it's probably the most meaningful pain or anything else that Hope and I have ever been through as we are so in love with our wonderful uh, boys, as I'm sure you are with your children as well. But that's the difference. Meaningful versus meaningless. Well, what determines meaning? How you go through it. That's what determines it. If you do it giving thanks, if you do it uh, uh, like David did also, my pain is ever before me, uh, complaining, pouring out your heart to God in relationship with Him, that makes it meaningful, okay? As opposed to just knock me out and wake me up when this is over so I don't have to feel this pain anymore. And it's just meaningless. It's meaningless because you're going through the pain in selfishness, in seek pleasure and avoid pain. Okay? You go through the pain in love and truth 
prioritizing relationship as best you can. Nobody can do it great when you're in pain, but at least that's your intention. Your intention is what is so critical, okay? Then it becomes meaningful. With the intention of just to get through the pain as fast as I can, that's meaningless, okay? All right, let's go back. Um, we were at James 1, the, the passage uh, none of us like for the most part. Count it as joy when all these painful suffering things happen, but then it tells why. And I'm so grateful to God that he told us not just to do it, but why. Because the why really makes sense. The pain will, will produce patience and perseverance. The patience and perseverance will produce maturity in you. And the maturity, when it is full grown, will make you perfect. Now, do you remember something from the first session? This one, the Sermon on the Mount? The place where Jesus ended that as sort of a culmination is be perfect. And no, we were never intended to be perfect. God knew that before any of this ever started. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. You were loved and you were chosen before the foundations of the world. Well, why was Jesus the lamb slain before the foundations of the world? Because God knew I can't do it right. I can't be perfect. No matter how hard I try, and neither can you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All right? But if that pain, if you go through that pain with patience, perseverance, maturity, and more and more and more and more of that, yes, complaining to God, being honest about what you feel, my pain is ever before me, but also what David did... Um, in my pain, I give thanks, even if I don't feel that, because I know this is a momentary thing in, in the cosmic, um, total, eternal lifespan of me, okay? This is just a momentary thing in comparison, all right? Um, kind of like a shot. When I was a little kid, I had a phobia of, sh of shots, you know, like when you're sick. Uh, one time, I, I guess I was five or six years old, and I was sick, and they took me to the clinic, and I was going to have to get a shot. And so they had me lean over my mom's lap, and they pulled my pants down, and then the nurse went out to get the medicine and the shot, and I just started screaming and crying, no, no shot, I don't want a shot, no shot, no shot. Man, I was so instant gratification then uh, oriented, it was unbelievable. But anyway, just scream and cry. Well, anyway, at, at one point, my mom says, Alex, Alex, stop and listen to me. And I was just, just screaming, no shot, no shot, no shot. And, and, and she finally got my attention and I said, what? And she said, they were done with the shot like a minute ago. <laughs> I didn't even feel it. I didn't even feel it, okay? So um, some of this is, is how we go through it, all right? And um, I, I don't have that phobia anymore because, because, because I learned how you go through pain 
determines the outcome. You go through it uh, being honest, giving thanks, asking that it be taken away, but giving thanks even if it's not, going through it learning, patience, perseverance, maturity, etc., and you're guaranteed that it will work out for your best. You go through it the meaningless way, oh, just knock me out until this is over. Uh, I, I, I don't want to feel any of this. This is horrible. Well, that is probably not going to profit you anything. Okay? All you're going to have to show is that you got through it. Okay. Uh, C.S. Lewis, one of the most respected uh, scholars and historians, uh, I believe he taught at Oxford, wrote uh, all the Narnia books, wrote Mere Christianity, which a lot of people believe is the greatest single work on on the Christian life ever written. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote and lectured pretty often that pain is God's chisel. That we're like a block of marble. And God is trying to bring out the perfect Alex. The perfect you. And that pain is God's chisel to, if we will be patient and persevere and, and learn and grow in maturity, eventually God, through the chisel and hammer of pain, will bring out the best you, the perfect you. Okay? Well, I got to tell you, most of my life, when I felt pain, I didn't think, oh, yay, God is bringing out the best me. Okay? I... I didn't. I thought, oh, this is horrible, and make the pain go as fast go away as fast as I want. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you should enjoy pain or or even create or prolong pain. No, 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 no. It, you're going to get plenty of it without doing any of that. You can still try to make it go away, but while you have it, learn something, grow. Let it become meaningful instead of meaningless. And then uh, Dr. Paul Brand, MD, in a wonderful book uh, called Pain, the Gift That Nobody Wants, talks about how pain is, is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, gifts we have as far as our health and physical body. And that, in fact, the most dreaded disease in the history of the world, leprosy, is simply an absence of pain. And... and that those people would give anything to feel the pain that most of us feel, but they don't. So they keep knocking their arm the same way, and the bruise, instead of getting better because we protect the bruise, gets worse and worse and worse until the flesh literally deteriorates and goes down to the bone, and all of a sudden we've got gangrene and infection and all kinds of stuff, maybe even death. Okay, all originating from a lack of pain. All right, so seeing pain for what it is, it, it is an opportunity for meaningfulness. It is an opportunity for more maturity and growth. It is an opportunity every time to become a little more perfect, a little more the best version of you. Okay? Alright.
All right, let's take a look at um, the reasons for pain. Quickly, get a drink here, excuse me. Okay, the reasons for pain. Suffering reveals expectation. Um, Dr. Dan Gilbert wrote a wonderful book, Stumbling into Happiness. He's a doctor at, who teaches at Harvard. They did the research on the campus at Harvard. He wrote a best-selling book about it. You see him on TV pretty frequently now as a, um, an expert in these areas and also in a lot of insurance commercials. But anyway, what Dr. Gilbert found at Harvard was that expectations are a happiness killer. That's a direct quote from him. Why? When you have an expectation that is a physical or external circumstance or something in the future that you cannot completely control, it spikes your stress. If you're already in, I'm sorry, it, it puts you into stress mode. If you're already in stress mode, which about 8 out of 10 people are, day in, day out, then it spikes your stress. How long does it put you in stress? As long as you have that goal, which for most people is years and sometimes their entire adult life. Okay? So your expectation puts you into pain many times because you're messing up the way you were built to work. We're built to go into stress once or twice a year for 15 minutes when the truck's about to pull over on us on the highway to save our life and then 15 minutes later be out of stress back to physiological peace. Okay, And maybe the number one thing that is keeping us in stress for most people five to thirty times a day versus once or twice a year is expectation. Okay? Um, scripture clearly says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough worry of its own. Don't live in the past except to learn or to go back or, and heal something. Okay? Or, or remember something wonderful Okay, as kind of an inspiration. But except for those things, live here. Live today. Live in the present. If you live in the past or the future, you're robbing yourself of the present. And the present is the only place you can be truly happy and healthy. Okay? So expectation will kill that. It'll kill your love, joy, peace. It'll kill your health. Uh, you're in stress for long enough and eventually you break at your weakest link. Not if, when. Okay? So, suffering reveals expectation. So the next time you are in pain and suffering, ask yourself, okay, do I have an expectation in my life that I need to let go of? Now, it's okay to have desires about the future. The difference is the desire, you give that up to God from day one and every day after that. Yeah, I would like to do that and I'm going to walk toward doing that. 
But I realize there's a lot of things not in my control, so I may never finish. I may go halfway and decide that's not what I want to do anymore and do something else. So yeah, that's a desire, but that's not my goal. My goal is the present moment in love and truth and peace. Uh, and if I'm in pain, to go through it the right way. If I'm not in pain, to be grateful for that and try to use the positive energy to make a difference today in the life of other people and myself and prioritize relationships, okay? Suffering reveals expectation. So the next time you're in pain, that's one of the things you got to rule out. It's called a rule out diagnosis in medicine. It means we're not positive this is what it is, but this is the first thing you should rule out, okay? So next time you're in pain, you got to rule out expectation. If you find expectation, you need to repent of that, to change, to give that up to God, turn it into a desire, and get your focus in the present in love and truth, prioritizing relationships, and adding love to whatever you do, whether it's something you like or something you don't. Okay, so, uh, suffering and pain reveal conditional love. You know, uh, uh, the way I would say that, suffering and pain reveal love A. Love A is I act kind and loving as long as everything's going my way, but when you start doing something that affects my pain, giving me pain, whether physical or emotional, or taking away something that's pleasurable to me, now we're not okay. And, and when and I believe that's why the divorce rate has been basically 50% for as long as we can remember. People promise, they make a vow to love, but in their mind, I believe, they are promising to do love A, not love B. They're promising to love until or unless something happens where you're messing up my, my happiness too much, okay? Uh, and, and if you are, there may definitely be a, a point where I don't love you anymore. Well, that's not love at all. We'll talk about that another day. That's a business deal, all right? Um, on the other hand, if I choose love B, that is not conditional. That love is forever no safety net, no plan B, all in, nothing held back, forever, no matter what. Okay? So, next time you experience pain and suffering, ask yourself, do I have conditional love or not? The best diagnostic for conditional love and expectation is experiencing something in the anger family when what happens is not what you wanted to happen. Anger, irritation, frustration, resentment, bitterness, everything in the anger family, and then extreme anxiety. If it's not a life or death situation, and something happens that's not what you wanted, and you experience something in the anger family or extreme anxiety, you've got expectation, conditional love, or both. Okay? And you're not going to move past where you are in your life. You're not going to move closer to your perfect self until you fix that. Okay? Number three, pain reveals sin. 
Um, and sin, as we've already talked about, has already been paid for. There won't be one person in hell because of sin. Sin's been dealt with and paid for in full for me and for you. All right? So it's not a matter of necessarily being lost or saved, going to heaven or hell. It's not necessarily that. It could be that, but not necessarily that. But sin is when you violate your own beliefs. In fact, there's a scripture that says if you believe something is wrong for you to do, then for you it is wrong. Indicating for some other people it wouldn't be wrong. Okay? So when you violate your own beliefs, that is sin. So when pain hits, ask yourself, okay, am I violating my own beliefs in any area of my life right now? And if I am, let me try to work on that, heal it, pray about it, repent, get back right with God, and and change that thing that I'm out of balance on. And I, and I have a wonderful new habits and addictions program I just finished. It took me 30 years to do that I think would be of great help. It all came from scripture anyway, but I think it'd be great help in trying to change some of your habits or addictions that are violating your beliefs, okay? And uh, sin is really like the inflatable or the rail guards they put up in a bowling alley for little kids, all right? The pain is to keep you on the right road, all right? So I go over here, oh boy, that's not good, so let me come back. Go over here, ah, that's not right either. So let me, you know, so um, it reveals sin. Number four, it reveals unhealthy control. Um, scripture says that without faith it is impossible to please God. Impossible. I know from health and psychology that all positive results go through the door of belief. Okay? And, and there's several aspects of belief. There's I consider belief kind of the big overall umbrella. And then under that, you have faith rooted in the past, hope rooted in the future, and trust rooted in the present. Okay? And there is no way possible that you can have anywhere close to your best life without believing the truth having hope in the future based on God's, God's plan. I call it God's miracle plan of love and God's truth. Faith in what he's already done and, and, and what we know, the story of how all of this came about. And Basically, this is just a love story of God and me and God and you. Okay? Well, unhealthy control is the opposite of faith and belief. Okay? Unhealthy control says, I have to manipulate, to plan, to work, to do whatever I have to do 
to create a certain outcome result or keep a certain outcome result from happening. I have to control the end result because if it's this end result or that end result or whatever, I'm not going to be okay. Okay? So I have to do whatever I have to do to control the end result. Okay, if that's how you feel and that's what you're doing, then you are not living in belief, faith, trust, and hope. Okay, which means you are not going to get the end results that you want in your life long-term overall for this whole lifetime. You're going to stay stuck as long as you live there. All right? You have to give up control of the end result and focus in the present in love. Do the best you best job you can. Do everything as unto the Lord and let the chips fall where they may. And knowing the rain's going to fall on the, on the just and the unjust. I'm going to have good stuff and bad stuff just like everyone else. Okay? Um, oh, and by the way, we're, last week we talked about, you know, you have two choices. God had to do it that way. If he eliminated choice, he eliminated love. So you have love choice and you have self-interest, seek pleasure, avoid pain choice. Okay? Well, which path is the path with no pain? There isn't one. Both paths have pain. The difference is that the love path, the pain is meaningful and makes you better and better every time and maybe even in a weird way about some things like hope and having a chill, having children, we even desire the pain because of the spiritual benefit that's going to come from that, all right? Where if we go through the pain in anger, in, in um, self-interest, just get this away from me as fast as possible, that's going to be meaningless pain. I used to listen to a preacher who would talk about this, and she said, you know, it's kind of like we all have our own mountain, and our life is climbing higher and higher, hopefully, on the mountain, and we may not ever get to the top because it's more of a journey, but we keep going higher and higher and higher. And she basically said, so when you come to pain, every time you come to pain, that's an opportunity to get the next path up higher on that on your mountain and in your life. But if you choose to go through the pain in selfishness, in self-interest, seek pleasure, avoid pain. No, you do not get the next path up. You have to go around the mountain again. And then you're going to be confronted with pain again. What are you going to choose this time? If you choose selfishness, you do not go up higher. You just go around the mountain again. And going around that mountain may take a year. may take five years. All right? So don't take those times lightly, uh, okay? But if you choose to go through that pain with meaning and love as best you can, not saying you feel love, but your intention is that, 
Then you go through the pain up to the next higher plane of your life and keep going up and up to higher and higher levels, more and more toward perfect. Okay. Uh, and number five, sometimes pain just reveals it's time to get moving. Complacency. This is a kick in the rear end. <laughs> hey Lloyd, you've been taking it easy long enough. Time for you to stretch yourself again. Time for you to go out and risk something again, even if it's just risk of emotional pain from people who uh, do not just give you love and joy and peace. And, and I've had plenty of that in my life, okay? Um, but if we let that keep us stuck, then we stagnate. And again, we do not go to that next highest plane of our life. If we get moving, even though the future's uncertain, we can't see the outcome from where we are, there may be more pain as I move forward than there is sitting here safely, okay? But no matter, I'm going forward. I'm going as high as I can get in my life, as close to my perfect self as I can get with God's help. All right. So, to me, that's the five. The five reasons. The solution is keep your eyes on Jesus or keep your eyes on love. Okay? God is love. All right? I do love sometimes. A lot of times I don't. You love sometimes, probably more than me, but probably sometimes you don't. God doesn't just love. God is love. In fact, the love I do sometimes is not mine. It comes from God. It's the first fruit of the Spirit. Okay, and, and if I'm told by scholars, if the fruits of the Spirit were translated accurately, it would not say the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It would say the fruit of the Spirit is love, expressing itself as joy, peace, patience, etc., but the root of all of it is love, just like the root of all negative anxiety, anger, irritation, low self-worth, etc., is fear. And Scripture says 365 times, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Way more than it says about any other emotion or feeling or anything like that. Because fear is the root of that. And our literal brain and nervous systems are wired either for fear or love. We malfunction on fear. We function correctly, even miraculously sometimes, on love. Okay, so keep your eyes and intention there. Okay? Uh, Jesus is not uh, far off and can't hear you and you can't get to him. Uh, you and Jesus are one. The mystery of the ages. You are seated with him in the heavenlies and he is in you right now where you are and everywhere you go. Okay? So keep your intention and eyes there. Uh, and I'd advise, I recommend the Tevia prayer from Fiddler on the Roof where you open a prayer in the morning, close it, when your eyes drop off at night and all day you just have a running prayer, okay? As if Jesus or God were right there with you and you were having a conversation because guess what? He is. Just not in physical form. 
And then the last thing I wanted to share about this, and this is what makes it to so tough. This is what makes pain and sin, meaning to miss the mark, to choose the wrong alternative, to violate your own beliefs, so hard not to do. And this is it. And I learned this uh, shortly after Hope kicked me out of the house. Okay, so let's, let's look at the anatomy of a sin or the anatomy of being tricked into meaningless pain in the, in the context of what we're talking about today. What happens when I violate my belief system? What happens is that my unconscious mind is in charge of my conscious mind as well as my body. My unconscious mind is responsible for 99 plus percent of all bodily functions, immune system, breathing, uh, all that kind of stuff that I don't have to think about. It happens automatically, okay? Um, so, I have, uh, think of the birds on the shoulder kind of thing that we've seen in cartoons and stuff like that, all right? So I have a thought and a feeling. Let's go back to when I was about five years old and I stole a candy bar from the five and ten cent store, okay? Um, I go into the store and I'm feeling fine. I'm not in any great pain or anything, okay? And then I go down the candy aisle. And you know, you know how you can, you can smell the chocolate. You can smell it. Uh, at least you could then, I think, when I was a kid, unless it was all in my head, but I don't think it was. Man, I could smell it. And there's the Snickers bar and the Milky Way and the Hershey's chocolate bar and the chocolate bar with almonds and sugar babies that I loved. And anybody remember sugar babies? Um, and oh, it's just, it's just so strong, okay? And I want it. I mean, I can taste it already, but... I don't have any money, okay? So, one little bird, one voice in my head says, go ahead and take it. You won't get caught. Nobody's looking. You'll get to have the wonderful uh, chocolate treat. And God will forgive you. You know, you can pray and ask God to forgive you. And they say in Sunday school that he will. So really, you get your cake and eat it too. Okay? And, and you know what? Hey, I'd never thought about it that way, that I get my cake and eat it too. That sounds pretty reasonable. So I do it. Okay? And at the time, I don't feel great about it. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't do it. But... The positives are seeming to outweigh the negatives, all right? In this weird, warped, even logical thing that's going on inside. So I take it, all right? And I put it in my pocket. I get out of the store as fast as I can. The store seemed like it was four miles long, like I was never going to get to the front door. And I feel this heat building up all in my body and I'm a little bit dizzy and by the time I get out I'm just so so relieved that I made it out and I look around make sure there's nobody chasing me with a gun or something you know at five years old for stealing the sugar babies um, and there wasn't and then I go around into an alley 
and rip it out of my pocket, eat it in about 20 seconds. And honestly, it was the most disappointing tasting thing I'd ever had in my life to that point. And still close to this point in my life. All right? Well, where did I go wrong? And, and, and then, after I eat it in 20 seconds, not enjoying it really, I'm just flooded with guilt and shame and condemnation and I'm going to hell and God is looking at me like this and getting ready to smack me in some way. Oh, goodness gracious. It was like I was in a horror film. Okay? Well, where did I go wrong? I went wrong because I got tricked. You see, when evil or Satan or Satan's demons they can't, my understanding from Scripture is Satan cannot cause me to go from saved to lost. Okay? He can't, he can't afflict my body unless God lets him. Alright? What he can do is he can lie to me. And he's called the father of lies and it even says he always lies. But he's brilliant at using part of the truth with the lie. And some of his best lies, I think that was true in Eden, is 99% true and 1% lie. Those are the best ones, all right? And what he said in Eden, a lot of it was true. Has God told you you would die? You will not die. God's lying to you. Well, God wasn't lying, but it was true that they weren't going to die physically. But that's not ever what God meant, okay? So, anyway, the magical thing that Satan and his demons and evil are able to do is talk to me logically in my voice, in Alex's voice, so that when I hear it, think it, feel it, I think I'm having this thought. Okay? But according to Scripture, I'm not. That's not me. That is sin living in me, and that is from Satan, not from me. Okay? So, when we have that, we know, most of us know, in a given situation, what we believe is the right thing for us to do, the wrong thing, or at least the best thing, or at least a thing that's not wrong, okay? We, we know that. We have a sense of it. That's what our conscience does and is for, okay? So when we are tempted to violate that, there is always a lie involved, and the lie is not from you. It is from the evil one. And by the way, one little post-it note. If Satan could not describe, um, if he could not disguise his voice to where it sat to you, it sounded like your voice, you'd never do it, right? If I'd gone into that uh, five and ten, and the voice I heard in my mind talking about, oh, nobody will know, and you'll really get your cake and eat it too, and you can repent like. If the voice I heard, you know, sounded like some terrible snake that's, tr that's about to get you, you know, 
if that's what I'd heard or, or just perceived in some way, I never would have fallen for that. I know. I know who you are. You're trying to trick me. Yeah, you're telling me everything's going to be fine, and then after I do it, you're going to beat me over the head with guilt and shame for doing it. I'm not going to fall for that again, okay? But he can disguise his voice. It does sound like your voice. You do believe it's you reasoning, and so you fall for it over and over and over and over and over for most people their whole life. Crazy, huh? But start to recognize now that when you have that thought and feeling to go against your beliefs, that is evil or Satan using your voice to try to trick you. And, and he can't take your salvation away, but he can sure make you miserable and take away your life beyond imagination and the guaranteed outcome and the meaningful pain and all of that. Don't let him. Okay? So, when that start hap starts happening to you now, for the rest of your life, identify it as coming from the evil one and not from you. Even though it sounds like your voice, it is not from you. He is disguising his voice in order to trick you. Okay? So, um... I think that's it for this one. Um, let's let's so let's kind of wrap it up. So Jesus comes on the scene. I'm going to shake things up, fulfill the law, be perfect. We're built for relationships and love, and that life is beyond what we can ask or imagine. We're also built to seek pleasure and avoid pain because it has to be a relatively equal choice. And the place where we get messed up more than any other I know of is about pain. And, and basically choosing the path with less pain rather than the path that is right, love-based, or the, or the path that is self-interest-based. Seek pleasure, avoid pain-based. Okay? okay? You got to get out of that. Do not choose the path based on pain or pleasure. Choose the path based on prioritizing relationships and what is love and truth as best you can see and what is coming from your conscience and the Holy Spirit about what is right and wrong and, and in harmony with your beliefs in the present moment. Okay? And neither path is the path without pain. There is no path without pain. Pain is part of what God uses to bring out the very best version of you that you would never see if all you got was pleasure. Because you wouldn't be inspired to work hard and change. All right? And change is always painful. Okay? So pain is a gift. It is an opportunity for you to go up to the next level of your life and then the next one and then the next one to become more and more the best or perfect version of yourself. And when you go through the pain, be honest with God. Pour out how you feel. He knows it anyway, okay? 
And yeah, ask him to take it away. But if he doesn't, try to go through it with thankfulness and gratitude, knowing if I go through this on the meaningful path, it's going to raise me up to a higher level. And also consider it in the context of eternity, meaning no matter how long your pain is, it's like this compared to eternity. And it is earning for you wonderful things on the love side and in heaven. Okay? All right. So uh, thank you so very much. Have a wonderful, blessed day. And we'll take the next step next week. Thank you. Thank you.